So if I didn't know I had a chance of winning, getting that first place, there's no point we doing it. I've achieved my life goal, my yeah. career's life goal, and I'm now Mr. Olympia. I'd won every other title I needed in bodybuilding. Well, I'll be honest, and this is something I've not really spoke of yet, was this was going to be my last Olympia. I always said to my wife and to everybody around me, the most important job I have now is being a dad. It is a selfish sport, and it's not just about me. It affects people around me. So I stayed in my lane. I never rushed the process, and people getting so big overnight, and all that, yeah, Ryan's not 3D enough, you not that people didn't believe in me, but it was the fact that, yeah, he's a good competitor, he's a top five of the world, but he's not a Mr. Olympia. If you go through life without a clear vision or a clear mission, you'll always be wondering, what if this, what if that? You leave yourself wide open. There's times I say it's been really hard doing this, really hard. And like I said, I see my family suffering. You don't need to do this about for a financial gain, many setbacks and stuff, but I'd never stop believing that he was Mr. Olympia. <laughs> Guys, I think this has to be one of the coldest episodes of ever filmed because of this man here. I've come, I've come all the way from Dubai to film with this man here because he's achieved something that we talked about a year and a half ago. Ryan Terry, welcome to the podcast and welcome to yeah. your gym, my man. Welcome cool. to your gym. Yeah, thank you for having me back. I appreciate that. I can't believe it's a year and a half since we last spoke. That's crazy. Do you, I don't know if you <laughs> remember how in-depth you remember into that conversation, but we were talking about at the time this vision you had and this... Um, this, you know, this 20 year vision of yours to win Mr. Olympia, you are now, and I'm proud to say this for you and, and mate, honestly, it brought a tear to my eye when I see you win it, Mr. Olympia. So uh, as, as it feels, I bet it feels like a kind of a relief to you. Yeah. And honestly, even, even you saying that now, I get shivers. I've, I've gone cold and not because of, not that cold in, <laughs> but just shivers were the thought of you actually saying I'm now Mr. Olympia, uh, men's physique, Mr. Olympia. Obviously I've worked two thirds of my life to get that title. So to finally say... Yeah, I've, I've achieved my life goal, my yeah. career's life goal. Yeah, um, yeah, it's a dream come true, mate. It's it's. I, re- I remember when we were sat there talking about this a year and a half ago. You said that you'd got a few more years left in the game, like, yeah. like literally, and and then you had to kind of make a hard decision. Yeah, like, what was is that kind of how you felt in the lead up to this, Mister Olympia? Yeah, so I'll be honest, and this is something I've not really spoke of um, yet, was this was going to be my last Olympia. Um, I sat down with my wife at the start of the year and we decided for the best it was going to probably be the last one. And the only reason for that is not because I've had enough of competing or anything like that. I absolutely love, live, breathe bodybuilding. But the past few years I've been going down the ranks. I haven't been going towards that Olympia title. And I'm not somebody who wants to just make the numbers up. So if I didn't know I had a chance of winning and getting that first place, there's no point in me doing it. And I'd won every other title I needed in um, in the IFBB, in bodybuilding. So it was a real hard pill to swallow, thinking that I'm going to end my career on one title. Um, and I think that would have grated on me for the rest of my life if I'd have not won that Mr. Olympia title. But I had to really think about my, my family, everything like that, my social life, because... It is a selfish sport and it's not just about me. Uh, it affects people around me. So we sat down and said, yeah, this is going to be my last rodeo. Uh, hence why the first time my family didn't come out to, to the Olympia because I said, let me just go out, embrace it, enjoy it, and uh, and that'll be that. And see it and actually see it for yourself for what it was yeah. know, rather than have all the pressure of, exactly. you know, I know I know in other competitions you'd put your son in the first row and it, yeah. like, it, all that added pressure when you when you know in your head that, this is it for me. Yeah, like, it's it's a yeah. lot to go through, isn't it? Yeah, and I didn't know how I'd feel about it, and I didn't want again my family to be around it. And last year they came out and 
my, my wife was heavily pregnant. We had a, a two-year-old. We were in Vegas. It was freezing in December. And it just wasn't a pleasant time for them. And placing I think it was seventh last year, it was kind of, yeah, a bit of a down. And it wasn't a, a nice experience. So I said, I don't want it to be the same this year. I want to go out, do my job, and, then, and, and that's that. And probably that helped towards um, the way I felt going into it. There was no pressure on it. I didn't feel any pressure. I just enjoyed and embraced every moment going into it, thinking it was my last. Why do you think that over the last few years, knowing how diligent you are with your training, with your eating, with everything else that you do, why do you think that you were going down the places for, for quite a number of years? I think I lost belief in myself. I didn't want to admit it, but I think I really... It, it came a point that after 2016, placing second, and then... I was the, the favourite going into 2017. I was uh, second in the world as the Arnold Classic champion. We've talked about this in the last uh, podcast where I think after that, without really knowing it subconsciously, I think that was my best shot. And because I didn't win it and, and capitalise on that, I was always fighting to be back up there. And there was always a new person coming in and they were the favourites this year. And it, it, I kind of was out of the running and I let that probably get the better of me. And after my injuries in 2018... Again, that was a real knockback for me because everybody else was growing, getting bigger. All the people I was beating up, up to that point, like Brendan Hendrickson, they were then excelling and then winning the titles that I felt like I should have been winning at that point. And um, yeah, I think an accumulation of all of that kind of knocked me inside without me truly knowing it. And yeah, I got complacent. I got to the point where I kind of started to believe everybody else. And, and not that people didn't believe in me, but it was... The fact that, yeah, he's a good competitor, he's a top five in the world, but he's not a Mr. Olympia. And I kind of let that, yeah. Oh, so, so you kind of let their version of you being a top five, but not the top one, you let that yeah. get in your psych- yes. psychology. Up until this year, there was something, I don't know what it was, there was something just, and it probably was the the fear factor of retiring without winning that title. And there was just something um, clicked. And in New York, I wanted to know, this year, basically, I wanted to, make sure I left no stone unturned and that I'd done everything possible, that if I look back in 10 years' time, I knew I'd done everything and that there wasn't thing. well, what if I'd have gone and saw that judge or what if I'd have gone and done that show? What if I'd have put more into that training? So this year, I went all out. So New York was a one, the one title other than the Olympia that I'd not got. So I wanted to do New York and that was the most prestigious um, yeah, pro show other than the Arnold's and, and the Olympia. And that was the head judge, who is his show. So I could get feedback there. If I could win that show, it puts you in front of the head judge, who's, who's judging the, uh, the Olympia. But also I can get feedback for the Olympia. And that's exactly what I did. After New York, I won New York. But I went and got feedback, which I never did before, because I'd kind of just resigned to the fact I was always going to be a top five. Nothing's really going to make that much of a difference. I got lazy with it. That's exactly what it was family life, work life, other things became priorities. But this year, because it was my last, I wanted to leave no stone unturned. So I went to Steve after the show, uh, Tyler Manning as well, the vice president. I said, what is it going to take for me to be a Mr. Olympia if it's possible? Have I got the genetics for it or or am I basically pissing in the wind here? (laughs) And they said, look, you've never come to us before. You only ever get feedback after the, the previous Olympia when it's too late. So you've got a year to correct that. And then you make another mistake at the, at the Olympia. He said, the fact that you've come to us now, this, 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 this. And he said, your back needs to come up. Your posing is off point. It's not it's not um, showcasing your physique the way we want it to be showcased. So they gave me these points to go away with. And I literally worked 
tirelessly. If I told you the hours I put into it, it was insane. But it worked because my back came up and they said it was one of the strongest on stage, which they always said was one of my weakest. That's where I always lost places. Um, I'd always be top two, three from the front, turn to the back, I'd lose to four, fifth, sixth. That's I'd always go down the ranks. As soon as I turned to the back, I would move to the middle. Um, so that was a strong point for me because they told me what I needed to work on. And I literally, oh, twice a week hit my back. Uh, I've done that for a year now. Um, the posing, I literally did two, three hours posing every day for four weeks going into that show. I was getting up at, uh, I was at the gym for 4 a.m. every morning in New York doing an hour posing before I even start my sessions. Run us through your daily routine because I don't think people truly understand what goes in. I know you're, I know you're a 4 a.m. waker, but mm. you, you've hit a hell of a lot of stuff before 8 a.m. even. So just yeah. break that down. So when I was prepping, um, this was a very, very different prep. This is not something I'd advise doing. It's not healthy either, but we'll go into that a bit later on. But with, with this previous prep, it was one of the hardest preps I've ever done because... I was project managing this place, 20,000 square foot facility with 40 contractors. I was do, running my own show, the IFBB, uh, Ryan Terry British Championships. I had a newborn in the house um, and I was obviously prepping for the Olympia. So I was running myself in the ground. There was literally not enough time in the day. So my day consisted, I was getting up at 4 a.m. And I always said to my wife and to everybody around me, the most important job I have now is being a dad. So I never want to miss those specific points in the day so they always come first so he wakes at six so I had to get up at four to get to the gym get all my work done before he uh, he wakes up so I'll always wake up with a bottle of milk come in round and then I'll make his, his breakfast as well as my wife's as well as um, my baby and we'll all sit together at six o'clock have our breakfast I'll get him ready for school we'll take him to school uh, once he's at school come straight here to the gym project managing and I'd flit in between project managing, then I'd nip off to the gym to uh, to film stuff for my, my sponsors. And then I'd pick him up at half three, get back, we'd have food together. So that's my family time. I'd never, ever shy away from that family time. Get him, bath him, bed him. By the time he's asleep, he'd be about eight o'clock. Then I'd eat half past eight. I'd have to leave it an hour and a half before I train. So I'd get to the gym for like half nine, ten o'clock at night. I'd train for an hour and a half because I'd do my training and then my posing practice, my cardio. And I'd, I'd probably get home for about 12, half 12. Then I'd do my emails till about one-ish, something like that. And I'd probably get two to three hours sleep before that day starts again. It was carnage. And how I did that for six months, do not know to this day. How are you allowing your time, body enough time to grow, to, to regenerate, recover? There wasn't. And my body was starting to resist it. And I was starting to get run down. Contractors were even saying it. My wife was, was worried. Even the family were. And then... Um, if it wasn't for my wife, she actually said to me about, it's about four weeks out and we made the decision at the three-week mark. She says, you need to go. She says, there's too much distraction here and you're going to be in the ground. Like, you're not going to make the Olympia at this rate. And I was like, you're right. And that's why I flew to the Olympia. It was the hardest thing I had to do going to New York because it was leaving the family, which I've never done before. Um, and yeah, and I had so many worries with this place, financially, everything. that It was important to get this, this moving. Um, but yeah, the moment I landed in New York, my bodybuilding mind switched on and it was the most amazing three weeks of my life, the hardest, most grueling three weeks. But my body transformed and changed every hour on the hour because I was resting. I was getting my meals in. I wasn't stressing, so my cortisol levels were down. I could concentrate on my, my training. I could sleep in the day if I needed it. And it was just, oh, perfect. Because <laughs> on top of all of this, I'm just thinking in the back of my mind, like I know that you prep 
every single meal yourself and you're eating yeah. six times a day, I believe. Yeah. yeah. Every two hours or two yeah. or three hours you're eating. So why are you at this level that you're at and obviously, you know, going on from this, why are you prepping your own food? Why haven't you got someone else in there doing that for you? Yeah, so I did try it. I must admit, a few years ago, I did try having a chef and, and cooking my meals and then these prep companies and stuff. And the thing is, it took away the bodybuilding to me because that I wanted to know that everything that I've put into my body, everything that I've done on my prep, I've, I've done myself. And I just, it felt like it was being lazy and I needed to know exactly what weight of each food is because you have to at, at that level or at any level of bodybuilding if you want to be the most shredded you can be and the, and the best you can be you need to know you're ticking every box and I just couldn't give that to somebody else um I just yeah I like to know I've cooked my own meals I don't even let my wife do it yeah I, I remember there was a scenario where, where you come back and she'd cooked a meal for yes. you and you and you were like it even kind of didn't lead to an argument but it kind of yeah. lets you questioning her about how much protein how many yeah. carbs are you sure about this are you sure about that well let me just say that because it sounds really weird and really <clears throat> but it's not it, it's only when I'm in prep so now we sit I have normal meals like I I've had what peanut butter and jam on toast this morning with with my son uh I eat normal. I, I eat all my six meals, but I eat normal meals in between. Or, yeah, it's only when I'm on prep and the closer I get to show, it, I just need to know everything's on point. And if I do it myself, then I'm the only one to blame for it. I can't. I make myself accountable then, and that that's important to me. What What do you feel you've learned over the last twenty years about having a vision and actualizing the vision that you could share with this audience? Because I feel like you're the man that's kind of stayed in the arena the longest time to, to actualize his yeah. that I've known. I just think if you leave yourself enough and like you want something bad enough, no matter what obstacles come in your way, you just graft. You put your head down and graft. And no matter how many negative things come in and people or naysayers and people say you can't do it, just pull that aside and whatever you think here, you can put to fruition. And, and that, I am, like I say, a true testament of that because I had this vision, like I said, I started training just 21 years ago, which is mad. But when it, it, the ten years ago, over ten years ago, when I dis, when I saw the first Olympian, I saw men's physique, there was just something clicked. I was like, I want to be the best in the world. I want to be that guy who who picks that. And the odds at that time were just second to none. I, I was uh, UK. There was no uh, Europeans on stage. Um, I wasn't even competing at that stage. I'd not even dieted for a bodybuilding show or anything. But I knew that's what I wanted to do, and there was nothing going to stop me. Um, and it wasn't like a cocky confidence. I'm not that type of person, which a lot of people say you have to be. You have to be like owning the room or whatnot. I I don't know. I'm I'm not like that. I just keep putting my head down and just keep going through it. And I have negative days like everybody does, but I still won't veer off what my goal is. And I know these small steps, turning up every day in the gym, training, hitting my meals every day, that eventually I'll still get to where I want to get. So you knew from the early days that it was those compounded growth one percent moves that if you made them every day they take care of the end result in the in the yeah. at the end of the day yeah and you, and you look at a lot of feedback from me was <clears throat> you're not big enough you're never going to win the olympia if uh, if you don't have an off season and puts have a year out put massive like mass growth on them all this kind of stuff but it wasn't me and it, it took the enjoyment out of it so i stayed in my lane i never rushed the process and people getting so big overnight and they're all like yeah ryan's not 3d enough look at the likes of brandon now erin's coming through all these guys with big muscle mass but I was like but that's not me I need to play to my strengths which is condition and aesthetics and just grow gradually and my time will come as long as I still believe it and still keep hitting 
my targets, which I was doing, just in the background. When I watched you win the Olympia, what I saw was the reaction of everyone else around you that had lost wasn't the same as what I'd yeah. seen previously in other shows because yeah. people were widely saying it couldn't have happened to a nicer guy. You had Phil Heath there. He was he was celebrating you. You know, I know Kai Green was 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 happy about you winning. I was happy about it. Like every, everyone was. Every, I, I couldn't imagine anyone saying one anything negative about you over the years because you've always been kind to me and you've always been kind to everyone I've known. But but it's like you you know it's just, it was just different. Like you've yeah. always carried yourself with with a level of respect that not many people can carry for over the years. So. So what have you seen that do to your life by operating in your integrity? Yeah, I've got to admit that. So even the head judge that we, we spoke at the gala after and his wife, um, so Steve Weinberg and his wife, they actually said in, in all the years they've never seen competitors go for the winner like they did when, when I won and stuff and, and how elated everybody was. And he said, we'd even spoke to previous winners like Brandon Henderson, Erin Banks, who have this character of being braggadocious yeah and a bit like annoyed with the world whoever's beaten there's a reason why like whereas they even said look we got beat by the, a great guy and all this kind of stuff and it was I was really taken back by that and I'm glad everyone came around me on stage because I was my legs were about to go I could not believe it I've nearly passed out on stage and I was I was beating my eyes out <laughs> so it was nice for for them to just kind of click me back into it and, and compose myself there was a part there where you flexed your back and then they brought you across and you did it and you did it again, and you flexed it again, and you, and you pulled it up, and I'd never seen so much detail in your back as yeah. you had that day. At that point in the show, when you flexed that back and you'd been moved places, did you kind of think in your mind, I'm on here for something? So I'm going to tell you something. So you know that back pose? So when I landed in New York, we were about three and a half weeks out, <clears throat> Sadiq Hadzvik, uh, yeah, a very good friend of mine, he and Steve both looked at my back pose, and they ripped it apart. It showed me how I needed to hit this back, and it was really hard. Like to hit that back shot because I'd never hit it like that. I know how, how to hit a, a bodybuilding um, back double bicep, a lat spread. Well, the way we we tried to showcase it was hard, and basically they set me a task that you had to hit that thirty times every day without without getting it wrong. So we filmed it. At the moment you got it wrong, you had to start the count again. Every morning at four o'clock, I hit that thirty times, holding it. Um, for 30 seconds, which is, I honestly, I challenge anybody to do that. It is absolutely horrendous. So 30 seconds hold, 30 seconds off, 30 seconds hold, and you've got to do it 30 times. And I knew if I did that, put all the work in beforehand, that when I step on stage, it'll become second nature and I'll hit that shot. And it was just the best feeling ever because in previous years, when I turned to the back, once I've got dread, but I always knew here's a chance where I might be out, I might be dropping places here. But when I turned, I couldn't wait to turn around. Like, the confidence I had, which was unbelievable, really, because I'm not naturally a confident person, but I couldn't wait to get to the back and showcase it because people, I hadn't showed it off. Because you knew. Wait. Yeah, and I knew that I was I was going to be up there and against them. And everyone said Aaron, Bank, Aaron Banks, and he has got one of the most unbelievable backs. They always said he's unbeatable from the back. And then when I read the feedback and I read uh, all the comments and all the said I beat him I was like mission complete I've done what I set out to do well I had because I didn't know a lot about the bodybuilding stuff I'd watched one of your previous ones where you had got down placed on your back and when I watched that show and I saw you place up Mm. instantly in my mind I was like that's different this time than what's 
gone before now. Yeah. Do you know what I mean? It was funny as well, because if you look back on the footage, you're right. So when I hit the back, and I still stayed in the middle, and I was like, we're on here. Like, and as we turned back, and I was still hitting the asses to hit the front shot, I was like, we've got this now. And then at that... and. This, this thing as well, when I look back at the footage, I'm getting shivers actually because I'm actually reliving it. And I was like, I don't even remember doing it, but I'm like, come on, you know, shouting. That's not me as a person. I would never try and pull a crowd up like that. But I just, the pure adrenaline, just the the 10 attempts before or the 10 years of competing before, and like I say, the nine or the eight attempts of competing before, you're just kind of like, it's my time now. We're going to graft and we're fighting for this. No one's taking me out of this box now. I think I think um, you're one of these people as well that you weren't someone that just wanted to keep winning it, defending it, defending it, defending it. I think your ultimate dream's always been to like win a show, cement your legacy in that show, and then move on to the next. Yes, yeah. I, I, when you look back on your career now, knowing that you've no, knowing that you're now currently Mr. Olympia Physique, like it, you you must realize it was all for it was all for a reason yeah. rather than rather than serendipitous do you know what i mean yeah so every show if you look back on my career every show was a stepping stone obviously for the olympia there was every um injury i've had everything was always to get this title but it was very meticulously planned out so i never wanted to do the same show twice i always wanted to show uh to win you've got like layers of, of um, prestige yeah prestige that's the word and um, so I wanted, I've, I've worked my way up and, and ticked them all off. And the only one I missed was New York, other than the, the Olympia, because Pittsburgh is, is of the same prestige. And I'd won Pittsburgh, so I kind of like bypassed it. So that was a bit of a niggle thinking, oh, I'm not the New York champion. I'd love to have that title. So this year, because I thought of retiring, I thought I've got to tick that off because if I don't win the Olympia, which would be gutting, I've still ticked off every single thing other than that one show. But uh, now I can look back and say I've completed every single title I ever wanted even with the Arnolds everyone said yeah but you've won three Arnolds but I was like yeah but they're not at the same place one was Europe one was UK one was America yeah <laughs> there's always something behind so it so every, everything everything to you had a reason yes. and it, I, th- I think if your career had gone any other way and you'd won the Olympia then you'd step back down again I just don't think it would have looked so it like it's a very long and beautiful journey yeah. of what you've done yeah I appreciate that it, 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 it's kind of like me with this podcast like Everything that I'm doing with this podcast is always a bit harder than the average podcaster at my level goes through. It always has been since day one. I have to travel more. Yeah. I have to put in more reps. Yeah, I feel yeah. like I get less recognition than everyone else that's that's at the level. Well, it's I, not stopped you though, is it? But, but, it's still but, going but, in the right direction. Yeah, I still I still push because I I feel like I'm giving this audience something that other people can't give them. So yeah. like it lights me up. Yeah, and whilst whilst I still do that, I'm going to still strive because I, I see people like you that took 20 years. And I, and I said to myself from the day one that I started this, this is a 10-year game to me. Yeah, yeah. And I think by having that attitude yeah. and everyone understanding that listens to this, by having that attitude that you know, you're in a 5, 10-year, 15-year game yeah. of whatever you're in, I think that's what yeah. takes you to that level that you yeah. can get to. I think as well, though, like... I've tried to enjoy the process of it. There have has been like times where it's been really difficult, really hard, obviously with the hip surgeries and all that kind of stuff. But I live and breathe bodybuilding. Even if I didn't compete, I, I live this lifestyle. I always have been since I was 14. I've been around it since then. So I've just enjoyed the process. It hasn't like been a, a, str- a struggle. It, it's hard. Obviously, bodybuilding is hard. But I've just loved every minute of it, 365 days of it. And everyone's like, how are you still doing it? Why are you still like competing every year? And, and 10 years on, I say, it must be... I enjoy it. The moment I stop enjoying it, then that's when I call it a day because that's the most important thing to me is, is enjoying it. Well, I was actually speaking to someone off the podcast about your childhood and because I was trying to understand where 
this drive and this everything comes from for, from a psychological level. And one thing that they told me was that your mum had you working from like 12, 13 years old yeah, yeah. and taught you the value of hard work and you had to go out and you had to earn and you had Absolutely. to provide. Yeah. And I think that must have been a pivotal point for you to kind of see the work ethic was rewarded, right? A hundred percent, yeah. Like my mum, when you look at her background, like she, she had to graft, like she was a serious grafter. She was on her own from the age of 15 in her own uh, apartment in, in Nottingham and stuff. So yeah, that was instilled to us from a very young age. And I was, yeah, like I said, I was 13 when I started um, knocking on doors, car washing. Uh, I'd have to give my mum board. It was only a little bit, but then when I was 14, I was pot washing um, every evening uh, on a weekend um, doing that and then removals on a Saturday when I was 14 again paid board for that if we weren't out of bed by 7 o'clock on a weekend the hoover would come in and we'd have a chore, like a list of chores to do we'd be washing the windows we'd be cleaning the house we were doing everything we were told we had to graft we had to, to work did you did you ever ask her why why it was so important to her no it was just a thing that we were taught to do that's what we it's, it's weird because I'm, I'm built very different I'm built like my mum in a lot of ways Um and like my brother and my sister, they're, they're coming into their own now. But I so said they're, they're very um, not comfortable. Like they, they always work for, for somebody else, and, and they've they've got brilliant careers in, in what they do. But they've always had that comfort zone. Whereas I always, I don't know, I've never been able to be in a comfort zone. I've always tried to push myself out of them and I test myself. I always wanted to be self-employed. I could never work for somebody from the age of eighteen. I wanted to be self-employed, and uh, I don't know. There's just something, and I've always wanted to graft. I just can't sit still. Yeah, but on the on the other where I'm going with that, but I say on the other side of that as well, you always you've always broke the stereotype to me of what a bodybuilder is and what a bodybuilder yeah. represents. Like you haven't got the the bald head and the tattoos and the big guy. Like, do you yeah. know what I'm saying? Like that, like the, 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 the tupperware the, everywhere. Like, yeah, yeah. yeah. Do you know, do you know what I'm saying? Yeah, but I don't not, think you need to either. Like, so that's another thing with misconception of bodybuilders. Like, you do get the odd, or you get quite a lot of, of competitors where they want everybody to know in the room that they're a competitor. So. They'll uh, they'll sway in, so they're like carrying carpets, and they'll get the fish and rice out and let everybody know they've got really out of Tupperware. It's cold, it's miserable. They've got their head down, they're hooded up, and all that. You don't need to do that. That's someone who's not enjoying the process. Yes, you can be tired, but like I two weeks out from the Olympia uh, last year, I was at my son's birthday uh, birthday party. Everyone's got you know all the food and all. That. I just nip off, nip to my car, hit my meal. People just thought I'd gone to the bar and got a round of drinks. Yeah. No one needs to know. And that's not, I'm not trying to like eat in silence. I just, yeah, it's just become part of my life where it's so it's a necessity in my job. I do it and I crack on with. Yeah, but you don't tell everyone about it. No one needs to know about it. And I and I like I really respect that because it's like when you see these. There's a lot of posts that go on Instagram these days, and they'll be like hitting bicep, but their ass will be in the shot. Like it's like you know, no, no, yeah. we didn't ask for that. You know yeah. what I'm saying? Like it, it, yeah, yeah. it's like why do why does it need to be in every shot? Yeah, it's, it's, I know it's, what you're saying. It's, that's the same with Tupperware bodybuilders. Yeah. The stereotypes. I mean, yeah. Do Do you feel like? Well, with with this show that you're building and everything that you're trying to build within bodybuilding, you're trying to change the culture of how it's seen. 100%. Yeah. So for this, for instance, this year, I was really proud of the Ryan Terry British Championships because that was something I won 10 years ago. And I always said, if I was still in the industry and I was still about, I wanted to give back to British bodybuilding. Once I've achieved what I've achieved and stuff, and I'd love to start giving back to it. And over the years, I feel like British bodybuilding has like faded off. It's kind of, it's like diluted itself a little bit and it's just become... There's like got a bit of a bad rep, and it's just not had that prestige. Like when I won it, it felt prestigious. Like in 2013, because the the they were in like a theatres and stuff. They were packed out theatres, and it was just the the standard was there. And it, I don't know, it just felt 
amazing to be a part of. And like, over the last few years, I just not don't feel like it, it's been that. So I said, it's time to start giving back. And that that show was the pivotal point for my career. In 2013, that's when I turned pro. I was still fitting taps on a weekend and still doing pot washing up. But at that point, it was when I became a professional athlete and sponsors started paying me full time and all that kind of stuff. So I felt like I owed a lot to that show. So we, we invested a lot and, and we put on one hell of a production. Me and Jim Sharp, we collaborated with two bros. Um, and it was amazing to see. I brought Phil Heath over, Kai Green. and It just reiterated where UK bodybuilding should be and, and that's what I'm trying to do trying to, and we, we hopefully get it get it again this year we'll do it again this year and try and do it bigger and better and Has keep it, proceeding it must have been hard over your career to go to these um, uh, Mr Olympia events and you know you're up against all the Americans all the top athletes that have all the that have all the money the backing the sponsorships um, everything behind them so, how how have you done that coming from the UK? Because I, I kind of feel like the UK has a ceiling of success, yeah. and you've you've had to break through that to to get Mister Olympia. Yeah, I think it's really weird. Like I might have just been fortunate, lucky. Some people say, but I just I always lived and breathed bodybuilding and just went for those styles. I, I never tried to change who I was or try to follow the trend. I just kind of went for my passion. I wanted to be the best of all. I wanted to compete. I wanted to win these titles and stuff. And, Whatever came along with it was amazing. And I always tried to be true to myself. So however I wanted to treat people off camera, out of the social world and out of the fitness world, that's how I am 365 days in. A lot of people said, no, you have to be cutting, you have to be hard to get to the top, you have to be this, you have to step on people. And I was like, well, I won't. I don't want to be at the top then if that's what, because I can't physically. I'm not that type of person. I'm not built that way. I said, so it's a shame, but I'll just keep riding this wave. I'm enjoying what I'm doing. Um, it's it's providing a life that I'm enjoying. I'm doing what I love for a living. It's hard at times and unsociable at times stuff, but yeah, it progressed to what it has been. I hear a lot of conflicting opinions on uh, passion versus profit and following your passion and whether it can lead to profit and whether you can lead to your dream life by following a passion. What's your thoughts on that? Yeah, it's, it's difficult, isn't it? Because in this day and age... You can't do anything without money. It's so it's so dictated to it with with money and stuff. And I I've I've, I've what's the word fell foul of that. I've, I've where I'm at at the minute. I've put myself in a position. I'll be honest. Where I've probably put pressure on my family, which I didn't need to do because my passion was was building this gym and building a facility, building a community, which is just brilliant to be a part of and being around. So this is putting into this, but it has put so much stress and so like financial stress, but. Uh, just mental stress and physical stress on my family and I look at it and I think what's it worth it because I was happy I don't know how to explain it I was happy in where I was at but I'm somebody who has to keep progressing mm. and I don't know when to stop um, and then there's, there's times like I say it's been really hard doing this really hard and like I say I see my family suffering and I think did I need to do this like for a financial gain or did I need I was content happy I don't know if I'm going off track here but no, it's, 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 I, I just, I just, I think what you want is you want to get the most juice out of your life possible, yeah. but you, but you're always questioning. It's good to hear you question. You're always questioning: is it for the right motive? Yeah, yeah. And, and the thing, my worry, and this is one thing, is I have such a competitive mindset that when this is all over, how am I going to fill that void? How am I going to fill that competitive mindset? And this, what I thought was going to be it, so. Because I was looking at retiring, I was like, I need something to do, Amy. Like, I can't, I need to keep progressing. I need to feel like I, 
I've got something to work towards. Um, and that's what I was filling my time with, with this and, and trying to do it. And yeah, there's something I need to address at some point. Are you retiring? Hell no. <laughs> Not yet. <laughs> see, 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 you say that, right? But I want to rem- remind you of a oh, comment no. that you made to me no. and others. You said that if you, when you win it, you yeah. said when you win it, you you that was you done. So what makes yeah. you what makes you want to put yourself in the position after twenty years, knowing you know you, you you're you're in your top end echelon of your career. You know you yeah, yeah. I would say I don't know how long a bodybuilding career is, but if you've got three to five years left at the top, oh, yeah. that's yeah. probably the lot, right? Yeah, yeah, definitely. at top level. So why would you want to put yourself in the position where you could retire not on a high? So there's two reasons. One, because someone put a stat out there. I'm probably making an excuse here, but someone put a stat out there where I'm the third best ever men's physique Olympia champion. And the reason for that is um, Jeremy Wendier, four times Mr. Olympia. You've got Brandon Hendrickson three times, and then you've got me, Erin, Raymond, who are all one times. But because I've won my Arnold accolades and stuff, it puts me third. And I was like, third best? <laughs> Whoa. <laughs> I need to be first best. So uh, now I'm making excuses on that. But for me, like I said to you before, I love competing. I love the structure it gives me in my life. When I'm dieting, it gives me purpose. And everything else does, being a dad and, and being a husband, all that kind of stuff. But that competitive side is not is not fulfilled unless I'm in prep and I'm, I'm in the trenches. I'm grafting and there's nothing else uh, can push me like that. But the thing is, though, what... What do you do in three years' yeah. time? That's that's yeah. that's what that's what I'm like. Okay, okay, right. Yeah. I understand what you're saying. You wanna you wanna maximize, and you wanna say that you gave it everything. Yeah. So maybe maybe you're a two time winner. Yeah. Maybe you're a three time winner. We don't know right now. Yeah. But 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 it's like, and you understand things at one percent level now that can improve your physique that you never understood even six eight months ago. Yeah. So my question is like, okay, you compete for another three years. You, you 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 may be tight or you may be placed, whatever it is. But what do you what do you is there going to be a void left? And what do you do to fill that void? Hundred percent. This is something I can't give you the answer to. Um, me and Ross Edgley, um, he's coming here tomorrow. Actually, uh, we've had in depth conversations, and he'll had to admit this till the early hours playing on Mario Kart in his house. <laughs> yeah. um, by the way, I lost every single race. <laughs> um, we sat for hours talking about it because he has the same problem. Yeah, he has to have these. Re- ridiculous uh, attempts like what he does swimming around the world for instance because he has that competitive or that spark or something in him which he has to keep fulfilling and he doesn't know how to stop it and it's the same for me I'll openly put my hands up I, I don't know yeah whether it's someone you need to speak to and if you speak to a lot of like um, ex-rugby players and football players anybody at a high standard play when they retire and they don't prepare themselves for it it's a huge shock to them I, I remember speaking to South African rugby team when they um, won the uh, World Cup uh, I was out there and they were saying about some of them got injured and they had to retire and they just they were lost for a year two three years because they didn't know what to do they're in a hole and and obviously I've got amazing support around me I've got a lot of business ventures now which does take a lot of my time up spoke to Eddie Hall about it in, in fact and he was good in the fact that when he won the World's Strongest Man he'd already set up the YouTube he, and yeah. filled that void like that was okay for him that was enough for him I'm not a YouTuber I'll, I'll admit yeah. that. I'm not somebody who feels comfortable in front of a camera and can just switch into that role so um, who knows I'll take up bowls or something 
It's, it's interesting because um, I, I was a boxing professional boxing trainer and represented world title level. And in, and after I'd reached what was the pinnacle for me, representing world title level, um, I decided to 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 give it all up because I decided I'd lent my ladder against the wrong wall. It wasn't the right pursuit for me. Yeah. And I needed, I knew I needed to let it go. Otherwise I'd never find what, what is, yeah. what I'd ne- I've never, I'd have never found podcasting if I had never let that go. Sure. Cause I'd have always tried to be ch- chase this yeah. wheel that wasn't there. Right. But in the, but, but, but letting that go in late 2017, early 2018, there was a year and a half period between when I let that go to when I, discovered podcasting probably even two-year period end of 2019 I, I think i put out the first episode of this and in that time it it wasn't great in terms of like i was all over the place i couldn't yeah, yeah. concentrate i was i was trying to distract myself with other stuff and it, yeah. it, it's like you really have to you really have to get get you get your purpose straight yeah. as soon as possible i feel quick one for you guys this podcast is sponsored by contentremover.com as many of you are probably aware I set up contentremoval.com in 2017 to help people remove all forms of online content. And I've looked after some of the biggest names and brands in the world doing it. And I would love to help you if you're struggling. If you're struggling to remove images, videos, search results, fake accounts, or anything online, go to contentremoval.com and we'll help you today. So what would your advice be as someone that's had a purpose that's been so strong for so many years? What would your advice be to to this audience in how they can get aligned on their purpose in the fastest way possible from today um like you say is, is finding something that you're you really do love and that you enjoy and that you start to focus on that and that you believe in it and that that's what you want to pursue like when i started plumbing i knew that wasn't for me like i knew the only reason i picked it because i knew it paid well um, and it was a grafting so the whole time i was doing that seven years i still had in the back of my mind this wasn't for me and i just needed to this was a means to an end and keep focusing on other things what I enjoyed, which was training. So in the background, I was still training, still focusing on that. The the plumbing was paying the bills, everything I needed. But in the background, I was still going towards my passion, my focus, everything. Like, didn't know how that was going to be. I just knew there was something in that role that I was going to do. So whether it went into owning my own gym, whether it was uh, PT or coaching, anything like that, I knew at some point there was going to be that transition, that that. And that I could switch lanes and go into there. And that was something I would just focus on. I wouldn't think, right, put all my eggs in one basket, which most people say, yeah, just follow your dreams and kick everything else off. No, in the real world, if you have bills to pay and, and yeah, you're a realist, you, you still have to, to do the things you probably don't want to do, but you you have to to get to where you want to be. And that was always my take on things. Everyone always said to me, well, why didn't you set up a plumbing business? And I was, I was self-employed and had my own van and I was doing these things, but I was like, no. It's not what I want to do forever. Property developer, anything like that, I was still doing it in the background. I still do that now. Still property developer in the background because I love it. It's my passion. But this has always been but what you, I want to you, do. But you established early on what your North Star was. Yes. And I think that's... if, if Like I say, 10 years ago. Yeah. Uh, sorry to interrupt, but like I say, we, we've got um, bodybuilding and doing everything. I did I did it for enjoyment. I loved it. Gave me self-confidence. And it was my way of, of, of venting after a day of hard graft on, on site. But when that men's physique came out and the Olympic came out, I was going to do classic bodybuilding. Um, not the classic bodybuilding we know now, the old classic body, which was still the trunks and it was still hardcore bodybuilding because I needed that outlet and that competitive release. Uh, but when men's physique came out, I thought that was my calling. And it just something thought, right, 
we're doing this. And it was still against everything because it was taking my top off in front of people. It was doing all the things that it scared the shit out of me, to be honest with you. But it was like, now, this is what I'm going to do. And I'm going to be that guy on that Olympia stage. And I remember saying, there's footage out there you can find on YouTube. 2014, I, I stood on the Olympia stage after they'd all done, they'd all completed. And I actually said to camera that in a year's time, I'm going to be on this stage. And I said, in years to come, I'm going to be the Mr. Olympia. Or I'm going to be the number one, number one, I think I said, number one on stage here. When a year's time I'd be on stage in 2015, I was on that stage. Back. Is there anything that you, else that you're doing? Like, do you, did you ha, did you have any vision boards or did you have any like screensavers on your phone that reminding you where you were going? Or what 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 modalities did you put in place to keep that vision in your mind all the time? It can't have just been you looking in the mirror all the time. No. So in the early days, I did. I had a vision board, and um, I've got to try to remember what they were. But I put five points on my vision board, and it was it was like be the first men's physique pro from the UK. Um, be the first British champion, first Arnold Classic champion, um, an avenue into America, that's what I put, an avenue into America, and financially more stable. They were my five points. And I put them in um, inside my cupboard on my wardrobe. And I used to go and get my vitamins every morning. And I just used to reiterate these things. just used to read them, not focus on them too much, but just saw them. And whenever I saw them, quickly read them. And that was that. And then whether that's a vision board or whether that's goal setting, however you want to look at it, it just put it in my head, ready to go. Because every morning I had my uh, my vitamins. So, um, and I remember at the end of the year, if again there's a, this footage on the YouTube, so where I actually pull that out and I say, this is where I won the British Championships. I'd won the Arnold the year before. I just turned pro, which um, and then it was an avenue into America because now I turned pro, I could I could go and compete in America. Um, and my sponsor just gave me big pay rises because I was now the British champion. I was now a pro. So that was financially more stable. I was like, oh my God, I haven't done any more, but I've hit those five points. No less, no more. It was kind of like, so from that point, I've always, uh, the year after, all I, all I set was to beat fourth in the world. So I was fourth in the world on my first year, Mr. Olympia. Um, the second time I come out, I was like, right, any place above fourth. Should have been more specific back then. I, I might want it, but um, so that I came second. And it was after that is when my injuries occurred. And I kind of lost my way for a good chunk of my career. I lost my way. And I feel like this year, even though I didn't set a vision board, I still had that mindset. There was like, I want that um, a New York title. I'm going to do everything that they tell me to do. And I'm going to go on that stage and, and be as confident and enjoy the process. And that is exactly what I did. I think that once you have something in front of your eyes, it just reminds your mind the way you are going. Anything else can be happening on in your life all around you, but you're always brought back to, okay, actually, remind yourself, this is where I'm going. Yeah. Like you can have, there's going to be setbacks in everyone's life, everyone's career, everyone's day, even. But if when you've got those, you know, you open up Vimeo cabinet, it's like bang, 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 bang. These are my goals. Okay. Yeah. yeah cool. Right. Cool. Now, now I've got a reason to go to the gym and now I've got a reason to be there. Do you, do you believe in vision board? The only reason I say it, so something happened to me before, and then I would ask this question to you, but in 2010, I remember I was bed-bound. Uh, again, there's another injury, but I slipped disc in my back, and the doctor told me I had to be bed-bound. This was before they realised you have to start actually mobility, moving it. So I was in bed for about six months. It was horrible. And I, I remember this magazine. I was looking for this magazine, uh, one of the fitness magazines, and his name was Bruno Kettles, um, and he was Mr. International. And he was sat on this throne with this big sash, and it said Mr. International, he just won it, crowned it, and everything like that. And um, 
it showed at the bottom an advert of, of how to become Mr. Great Britain to then represent Great Britain in, in the, the Mr. International. I don't know what it was. I looked at it, and this is before I knew about vision boards, everything like that. I could visualise me sat on that thing. I don't know, in that suit, bear in mind I'd never wore suits. I was working on site, I was an apprentice on site. And, it, and I thought, I don't want to do that. And it was weird because he's, it goes against everything at that point. I wasn't a confident kid or anything, but these guys just sat there, he looked so smart, good-looking man. And I was like, I want to do that. And then fast forward six months, I was at Pineapple Studios in London, competing for Mr. Great Britain, flew to Ireland against Mr. Ireland, and we had this big pageant, male pageant, and uh, I won that. And then three months later, I'm in Indonesia competing against 40-odd people. In, uh, they were all Calvin Klein models, uh, all, yeah, ridiculously good-looking men. And then I won Mr. International. And then a year from that time, I was sat in that throne with that sash on. And I was like, how does it that? It's, 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 you, you asked me at the start of that, yeah, yeah. do I believe in it? Yeah. And you, you being sat here... Kayla at Cines on the podcast the other week. Yeah. Um, all the people that I network with, all the people that I'm now friends with, mm. the people that I'm able to um, sit down and have honest conversations with, that is all been visioned out in my mind. That's like, it, it, amazing. It, it, it's, it's, I was, you know, in the UK as a carpenter and joiner and I envisioned a better life for myself in Australia and I went and built that and mm. everything that I've built since then, even, you know, when I achieved uh, becoming a professional boxing trainer and then working at world title level and stuff, that was all vision in my mind as well. But the top, the time in my life that I lost direction was when I didn't was those two years between the end of 2017 and towards the end of 2019 when I didn't have a purpose. And as soon as I established that, um, I, I didn't when I established this podcast for argument's sake, and I just want to tell this for the audience because I think I believe it will help move you forward, every single one of you. Uh, most people these days are starting a podcast and they just go, Right, the podcast is a cool thing to do, I'm gonna start a podcast. But I didn't do that. I reverse engineered what what I should do from my mission statement of my why. And my my mission statement with this podcast and with everything I'm trying to do is to help people break patterns and flip perspectives in their life so that they could, so they can have more clarity, direction and success. That was my mission statement and I've never, and once I knew my mission statement, I then surrounded myself with the best modality that I had in order to communicate that mission statement. And that was the podcast, that was voice, that was video. And that's why I stepped into it. So I didn't just step into it blindly thinking, oh, I'm just going to do a podcast. I stepped into it with with a clear mission as to why I was even doing it. So I wanted to know why. Why does that mean so much to me? Yeah. Ask myself those deep questions. And I think you asked yourself the deep questions when you were younger, unbeknownst to you, yeah. of why you wanted to do that. And that's why you could then go on and put this into action. Yeah. Yeah, true. Definitely. Because I was quite, a, I'd say, a cynic, you know, with all that kind of stuff. I think um, just with the upbringing I've had, and maybe being on site where, you know, you got all the, the joy in it, like, but, um, yes. Yeah, the banner yeah yeah everybody at each other and so if you just kind of didn't take anything too serious so whenever anyone mentioned anything like that you'd kind of take the piss out of them a bit a little bit but it's only when it starts to happen for yourself you kind of sit back and think you know what even if you're not all for it and believing in it like a spiritual level or whatever you can still look back and think there's something in that definitely because whatever you want to do and you pursue and you believe you can do it and you, you work and you put your steps in it's achieved you you, you get there in the end well, I'd, I'd, the question I'd ask everyone that's listening to this is, what benefit have you got by not believing in it? Yeah. Like, do you know what I mean? Like, what, what, it's not going to harm you, is it? No. Believing in this kind of, believing, 
believing in a greater vision for yourself, believing in something that you put on the wall, that's that's between you and what you put on the yeah, wall. Yeah, like, definitely. I'm not there to judge you. Ryan's not there to judge you. No one in your family's around there to judge you. It's just, it's just an internal conversation, an internal view of how you want your life to look. Yeah. And I, don't, I think that that's something that everyone should have on their wall. Because if you don't have something like that that keeps you in the right direction when the times get a little bit dark, when you've got that slip disc... Yeah, you can yeah. remind yourself on your vitamin cabinet of why you're doing it for. Yeah, yeah. You can't do that if you don't have a clear set of steps or yeah, so. Definitely. So I think I think there are powerful things. And, and when you listen to top athletes like Conor McGregor, yeah, and he speaks, he imagine he he visualized that punch that Aldo was going to throw yeah, yeah, and how yeah, he yeah. slipped it, and and he talked he talked about it. He talked about it even before the the event happened. He says, yeah. "This is what's going to happen, and this is how it's going to happen, and this is how I'm going to knock you out." And that was when he was at the peak of his career yeah. when he was doing that. Lost his way since then, hasn't he? That might be because he's lost his vision. You just never know, do you? I, th- I, I, I think yeah. um, my, mate, my mate Brendan, who's been on this podcast, is out there in Dubai training with him now. And I think I think now that that vision, he, he went through that lull yeah. similar to what you did. Yeah, yeah. And I think as an athlete now, he's more, he's more dialed in. But I think yeah. if you go through life without a clear vision or a clear mission, yeah. you'll always... Be, be wondering what if this, what if that, yeah, and it's yeah. kind of, you leave yourself wide open. Definitely. Well, I can safely say, I know we're going off track here, but I can safely say now, people say, oh, how do you feel about winning the Olympia title now? And for me, I can't explain it to you. Like, my whole life's work, two-thirds of my life has been working towards that title. And the only thing I can say is I feel complete now. And it shouldn't be like that, that a title does that to you. But I can honestly say, no matter what happens from this journey, because you were saying, when is it enough? Like the two year, the yeah. three year, the, the fourth fourth year. But I said this to Amy, my wife, as I said, but now we're over that threshold. Now I've achieved what I wanted to achieve. Yes, I might have to start setting some new goals, but I feel complete. Like I've got nothing else to prove to anybody. I felt like I always had to prove something to somebody. I don't know why. I think it would be more dangerous like that. Exactly. And I said, whatever happens from this day forth, like... I've done what I set out to do, so I'm happy with that. Don't get me wrong, I'll be setting more goals and I'll be going harder and harder. As I've, that's just how I'm built. But there was just something, such a way to, even to the point where the, the, I always said, and I always visualised, again, that I wanted to be at the um, Superstar Seminar on this, the Sunday, the, the day after the Olympia. And I used to watch that seminar and I always used to say, that, why can't I be up there? Like, what? What is it going to take for me to be up there? Like, I should be up there. And I visualise one day I'm going to be up there and stuff. And when I sat there this year at that Superstar Stand, I was like, well, they were asking me these questions. Normally I'm like this, nervous. Don't make mistakes. You've got to come across the way you've got to come across. Like, sound literate and you've got to sound this. You've got to do, don't make a bad uh, impression of yourself. This time I, I just didn't feel that at all. I felt really confident, relaxed and just thought, I've done what I've set out to achieve. It's been a long journey. It's took a long time to get there. But... I'm content and I feel happy, and it's the first I can genuinely say that. Um, and I think yeah. I think that removes all the pressure then for you to go and yeah. achieve whatever you go and achieve. Now it's like, well, yeah. like I've done everything I set out to do from a from a professional yeah. standpoint in terms of bodybuilding. So now I can compete without feeling like there's a weight on my back. Yeah. And so now, now maybe maybe my my poses flow even better. Yeah. Maybe I maybe I grow, maybe maybe that uh, lowering the cortisol level because you're not yeah. as under so much stress. Maybe that yeah. allows your body to flourish even more yeah. in these final years of your career. And a lot of people say that oh, when you're at the top now, you're going to be looking behind you constantly, everyone fighting. And yeah, it is harder obviously at the top. Uh, people they will see you never as hungry on the way up or whatever it is on top. But 
I, mean, I feel like it's different. I feel like I've achieved what I need to achieve now. It's just enjoying the process and let's let's have it. Let's go for it and see what happens. Let's break down the training split because I research a lot on this kind of stuff and I've watched a lot of podcasts with Dorian Yates and he was saying at the height of his career, he was training three times a week, four times a week max, but he was, and, and he's only in there for like, apparently for like 35 to 45 minutes. Is, is, is that achievable with what he was doing or, or is that the, is that the kind of truth or is, is there something being lost in translation there? I, I think there's a bit of both in that. I think one, Dorian genetically, you've got to have his genetics to get to where he's at. Like say, even if I did his protocols, did his, his food plans, his training, everything like that, I wouldn't be Dorian Yates. I've just not got, I'm not built that way. Uh, I just don't have that, those um, genetics. But I still think three to four times a week is, and 45, 50 minutes is, I train seven days a week. I know I yeah. shouldn't do, but I enjoy it. So yeah. as long as I'm enjoying it and they obviously need rest, or agreed, but, I enjoy it. This is my release. I don't come here because I have to and I'm panicking that I'm missing a muscle part. I come because I enjoy it. It's my release from life. So I train seven days a week. 21 years, I've had six meals a day, solid. Pushed it to seven a few times. I don't miss a meal. I don't. So I've been that to the size of me. I'm not. Yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. And uh, yeah, again, it comes down to genetics, but um, yeah. Because I, I, I went to a meditation retreat with Dr. Joe Dispenza. I met him there. I'm sat next to him. So Naturally, I want to ask him a question. After we've been been we were on a seven day retreat, so on about day three, I said to him, "Like you know, just give me a bit of a. I know everyone asks you these questions, but like four time, three to four times a week." He's like, "Yeah, like once you've maximized the output of that muscle, yeah, and you took it to the point where you've torn it to this extent. I can't remember yeah. the extent he told me. He gave me a specific word, but anyway, yeah, he said once you've done that, what is the point?" Like you've 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 done the maximum. Now just go yeah. recover. Yeah, and and, and uh, yeah, there is, there is science behind that. Obviously, that it is back to that. If I didn't enjoy it and it was just a job or to get to a title, then I'd be more specific in that. Right, I do the research. I think right, I need to rest twelve hours a day and train three times a week. But I don't do it for that reason. Bodybuilding fits in with my lifestyle. Like yeah, my lifestyle is bodybuilding. Bodybuilding fits in with my lifestyle. So for me. Being in here three times a week isn't enough for me because I enjoy being here seven times a week. If I didn't, I wouldn't come in. I'd, I'd come in three times a week if that's all I needed to do. But I love being in here. It's it's not a, a chore for me to be in here. It's not a necessity. So whatever I'm enjoying being in it, I'll come in and do that. And it's yeah. my release from the real world. Do you ever find, though, through your career that you've cannibalized muscle yes. by overtraining? 100%. I know that. So when I diet down, I know I sacrifice more muscle tissue than I need to. It's just, and that's probably why I've been smaller than most people on stage. And I have tried with other coaches. Like I prepped myself, I did for the Olympia, I trained, my, or trained by myself, and I prepped myself food wise, everything. Um, but I have tried it with other coaches where, yeah, they're three days on, three days off, all these type of different training methods and stuff. But it just wasn't me. Well, I wasn't enjoying it. And when I diet down, I want to know that I'm the most shredded on stage because I'll never beat them on size. So, I play to my strengths and my strengths can be a weakness in the fact that I sacrifice muscle tissue coming down, but I'll never jeopardize not being the most conditioned on stage. And that's what I've always been known for. And that's what I've always wanted to portray my physique to be on stage, the most shredded, the most aesthetic. Size has always been a problem for me, hence why I put six pounds on this year. I, I went against everything I wanted to do. I put six pounds on this year. 
to see if that was the missing piece. And it was the missing piece. So I might have been jeopardising myself over the years. But do, you, do, do many of the Mr. Olympians that have won it, are, they, are, are many of them prepping themselves or is that an anomaly? And the, and the thing is I found out as well, this, this Olympia, we got talking to a lot of um, lot of pros backstage and stuff like that and, and over the, the course of Pee Week. And every single one of them that I spoke to all were in training camps. So they all left their families or left their day-to-days and they went into training camps. So they had a chef, they had um, trainers, two trainers, they have deep tissue massaging after every session, they sleep through the day. They are they are pros at what they do. That That is what they live and breathe. And then you have look at what I was doing, like say the, the two hours sleep and the project managing this. And I was like, absolute, you couldn't be at opposite ends of the, um, the spectrum really with, with how I prepped and how they prepped. And, it was madness, to be honest, but um, I would love to do that, but it's just not real life. Like, <laughs> for me, sorry, it's not real life for me. And this comes down to, like, you've got the very traditional English life where you've got the you've got the home, you've got the wife, you've I got the children. That. I want that. Do you know what I mean? That, yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. I, I don't want to... Don't get me wrong, that three weeks of being away was phenomenal because I was in camp, and it, and it made such a difference. That six pounds difference, I gained weight going into the show because I wasn't run down, because my body was resting because I was getting my meals in and I wasn't stressing over things, everything just went into place. So it does make a difference. And I even said to him, I said, well, why did you ever do 12 weeks of this? <laughs> just test yeah. the water. This, see if we could make such a difference. And like I say, I came in a lot heavier this year um, to see if that was the missing piece. Would you do 12 weeks away from the family next year? Not to a, Not a chance. I always said, like I say, being a dad is the most important thing to me. Yeah. Um, so... Sacra- even the three weeks was was hard. I yeah. FaceTimed them twice a day. And because I was getting up at four o'clock, I could see them. What time was it for them? It was, yeah, it was like 10 o'clock for them or something like that because it meant I could speak to them twice a day as well. So I could well, do my cardio. I was FaceTiming them every morning and stuff. So to be away for 12 weeks is just not something. Don't know, I'd love to do it from a bodybuilding perspective. And, I, and I, I truly believe your physique would be 10 times better if you did. But that's just not an option. It's just not an option now. I want you to break down for everyone where they can get the best bang for their buck in terms of when they go to the gym because I think there'll be some there'll be like five exercises that you think that everyone that is in physical that is in that is able to do it could hit which is going to give them the best bang for the amount of time that they're in the gym what would they be to you like if you had to pick five yeah like you say you you would typically go for like compound lifts like I I still prefer free weights because you're going to be uh, incorporating every part of the body so if you are restricted on time or anything like that when you start going towards free weights and compound lifts, you, you're recruiting a lot more muscle uh, than just the one specific area if you're going onto an isolating machine for instance um but yeah like a typical deadlift which is, is great because yes it's targeting lower back but you're getting everything quads glutes hamstrings uh, upper back even arms so to speak because you're keeping your core that sort of thing i think um you look at though, yeah, those type of lifts. Again, if you're doing like an overhead press with a barbell or a dumbbell, again, you're keeping your core tight, so you're hitting your midsection, uh, you're stabilizing through your legs, your glutes, everything. So those type of, of exercises I would go towards rather than isolating machine work. So so see, so we're saying squats, we're saying deadlifts. Right, we're going to go for five in. Yeah, I, I, okay. I, I, want them, I, want them, yeah. I want them to have a clear plan when they go to the gym that, okay. that, that, that this is what Mr. Olympia says is going to get me the best results yeah because, okay. because because i suppose what i've noticed is that if you hit your legs hard it stimulates the growth in all, yeah. all across your body yeah, so yeah, like but, but but not everyone knows this yeah you know what i'm saying so, so that's what we say so we're going we'll go squatting then um because again it recruits 
lose everything. You don't have to necessarily go heavy with that either. A lot of people, oh, I don't want to squat, I've got a bad back or anything, or bad knees. It, I've learned over the last year or so, the amount of muscle tissue I've put on over this last year and the amount of like striations I've gotten and muscle maturity I've got is from slowing the, the reps down, that mind-to-muscle connection and focusing on on the exercise, the movement, rather than the weight. Um, and that's made such a difference. So, yeah, so we'll go for squatting, deadlifting, an overhead press with free weight because then you are going to incorporate like the midsection stuff. I've all, I'll have to put in a hanging leg raise because that's just something I've always said on every every interview I've ever done. That is what's helped with my midsection because no matter how you look at it, straight leg, um, hanging leg raise, you're getting you're hitting your transverse abdominals, your upper and lower abdominals. Um, yeah, just every part of your midsection. Uh, you're also incorporating, obviously, your legs, your yeah. arms whilst you're doing it. So a great overall uh, exercise there. We've got, well, I'm going to go there. We've got four. Four, yeah. And then I would say a bent over barbell row. One of the exercises I hate doing because it it's on the cusp of hurting my lower back. But again, as soon as you get over that bar, you're pronated. You're hitting your your so you're on boys. So you're hit you're you're gripping over the top yeah, of the bar and pronated. Over, yeah, yeah, yeah. Yeah, because you're still hitting your lats, but you're hitting your mid rhomboid. You're still getting your your, your delts, um, hitting everything there, and your core. You're keeping your core tight because you're trying to keep your, your your lower back um yeah in the fixed position your legs because you're having to plant yourself into the ground if you're hitting the heavier weights i think that's a great exercise and that's helped massively with uh, my back growth this year and it, when it when it comes to tempo of all the reps in that range so how many reps and what's the tempo of the reps so i would go i think um between 12 and 15 reps so I, i'm someone who i used to do the six the six to eight heavy reps and stuff um, and there is a place for that, and I'm not saying don't do that, but for longevity in this sport, um, I would go for like the 12 to 15 rep range um, and slow them down, even if it's three up, three down, or two up, two down. So two seconds up on the concentric, two on the eccentric. And then that way you can really focus on each. When you're just snatching at it like a, mm. uh, a branch warren or uh, Dorian Yates, so there's nothing wrong with that. It worked for them. For me personally, I was getting injuries from it and I was just throwing weight about it. I wasn't getting that connection. I was exhausted by the end of the session. I'd possibly get an injury or pull something. But I, and, I, and I grew from it. Don't get me wrong, I did grow from it. But this past year, really taking it back, and it was uh, Dexter Jackson was the one where it clicked in my head whereas we were chatting about it. And he said, you could give him a 2kg, he said four pounds or whatever, or five pounds, dumbbell set. And he could get a workout out of it because he'd focus on that mindset. He'd squeeze all the way through the rep rather than try and right. chuck up a 30 kg dumbbell. And it was so true. And when I trained with Phil Heath a few weeks ago in Manchester, he said the same thing. We were doing ISO holes between each session, uh, between each rep. And then we were, as we were coming down on a lap pull down, for instance, we weren't just going through it. We were pulling it down. We were holding that squeeze as if I was doing a back double bicep on stage. Getting that mind to muscle connection and then going back up to elongate and stretch out. Phenomenal. Can you break down how you get that mind muscle connection? Because I've never heard any. Yeah. I've, I've I hear a lot of people say it. Yes, but yeah. I, but I've never heard someone at elite level explain it. And the thing is, as well, I've heard it so many times, and I've always assumed I hit. I used to. Oh, yeah, I get that mind to muscle connection because I've, I've been. I'm getting muscle growth. It must be it. This past year, like I say, slowing the reps down again. Food is a huge thing on this as well. People neglect that side of it, but if you get the right amount of nutrition in and you're getting the good amount of nutrition at the right time around your training, um, like 
for instance, cyclic dextrin, a fast-acting carb. Well, what's it again? Say again? Cyclic dextrin or cyclic dextrin. Uh, it's a fast-acting carb. It gets into the system very quickly. If you were to have that pre-workout or even uh, intra, it gives you that fuel. It, it carves up, gives you that glycogen into your, your muscle cells. That You can get that connection so much better if you're, if you're, you're full. You're not depleted. You're not going in there tired. If you've got good rest, all these things are big factors in getting that mind-to-muscle connection. And then focusing on it. So instead of just going and doing one warm-up set and then hitting your, your, your maximum weight, gradually go up each time and slow it down and just literally mind-to-muscle connection. Just feel it all the way through the movement. And squeeze it yourself. You could do a leg exercise. We could both do a leg extension. And I could make my two plates 10 times harder than you put a full stack on because I'm squeezing, squeezing the muscle before I even start. Right, yeah, Engaging yeah, the muscle, yeah. I'm feeling it, it fully tensed. Then we start the movement. By that point, yeah, blows my mind. Actually. And the difference in growth between the two ways of doing things is 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 mind, night and day. Night and day. The last year, like I say, the striations that have come through my teardrops and um, on my sweep and my quads and stuff, um, and that all comes down to tensing the muscle first and then going into the movement. Just squeezing. I don't need to stack it anymore and just start shouting, letting everybody see that I'm, I'm yeah. stack. I can do half that weight and slow it down, squeeze it, get to the top of the movement, pull the. Uh, Make sure the toes are facing back of me, so I've got full contraction on my quads. So essentially, to win this Mister Olympia, you you never hit a PB in your training. No, I, I don't train like that at all. I just get injuries, and I'm, I'm saying there is still a place for that. So don't get me wrong; I'm not saying don't be doing that sort of thing because there is a place for it. But I've got the t-shirt, I've got the injuries, I've I've done all that now from doing that. And as I've got older, I just train a lot smarter, and um, I've just found what works for me and it's funny because it took 20 years to do that but um i don't yeah i don't have to to be the the strongest guy in the room anymore which i think in the, in the younger days which probably did help in my career in some respects but it also was the was a disadvantage of getting yeah. injuries from it i just yeah i enjoy it and just get that mind connection over anything when it comes to the food element because obviously this is where a lot of people struggle um they get so much uh information on eat this, eat that, you can do this, you can do that. What are some of the staple things that you're, that you're putting in your diet every day to make sure you hit your protein, your carbs, your fats? So the one thing I would suggest when you look at your, your food, your nutrition, try to see if you can sustain it for 365 days a year because you don't want to do something what you, it's a 12-week prep and then you binge after or you're not enjoying it and it's, it's torturous, every meal's torturous. So a lot of bodybuilders, and I understand why, because it's convenience when you're eating so much, eat the same meals through the day. And one, it's not good for the digestive tract or, or your stomach uh, to keep trying to digest the same stuff, but it's good to get a balanced, varied diet. So every every meal I have in the day is different. So we work back. So I'll have like oats in the morning with blueberries. So you've got your oats, which is complex carbs. You've got your blueberries, your antioxidants. You've got your almond butter, which is your essential fats. And you've got a fast active protein, which is whey protein or, or isolate. So it gets into the system quick after an eight hour fast whilst you're sleeping. So that's the process behind the first meal. The second one, uh, four eggs, rice, something like that. Third meal, chicken, um, can be white potato or rice again uh, with vegetables. Uh, fourth one was it fourth one yeah fourth one is um, steak you get red meat creatine in there um, saturated fats as well as uh, normal fats which is good um, white potato and then and veg mixed veg and then an evening salmon for essential fats before bed slowly digesting into the system as you're as you going into bed so yeah I have two salmon fillets a day uh, two fillet steaks a day uh, 
three and a half, four chicken breasts a day, four eggs a day. So they're all different. And what supplements would you add that whether you were training for the Olympia or whether you're training just to be in the best shape or, or, or as good shape as you could be, what supplements would you not go without? The essentials for me is a, a strong sports multivitamin. Um, definitely got to get them in. Um, yeah, which is which is high in vitamin D3, uh, vitamin C, that sort of thing. Um, I would look to have uh, EAAs, so essential amino acids, uh, before and during training. So a lot of my supplementation is is around training. Everything else I try and get through food uh, other than the, the multivit. Uh, I'll go for a cyclic dextrin or a multidextrin if I'm a bit cheaper, multidextrin. It does the same thing really, it's just the absorption rate's a little bit different. Again, that'd be for pre, intra and post. And then I go for impact whey, so um, whey protein. Um, no creatine. Uh, sorry, yeah, and creatine. Yeah, 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 creatine. And another thing, I keep creatine all the way through. A lot of people... All all the way, hold on, all the way through the, right the way up in the competition as well? Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I cut it out probably peak week. Um, I just, I knock it out in peak week. Um, just because you can hold a little bit of water retention on it from the um, the monohydrate. But yeah, I've, I've kept it all the way in. And and what's that, one gram, two grams or... Five grams. Five, five grams. grams a day. Five grams a day. And again... Depending on where, when you take it, you can take it any time. I take it actually intra, which most people take it pre or post, but it's just because I can hide the taste in my... Uh, yeah, because it's, it's not the best taste of stuff, but, but what it is is a real cheap supplement that, that allows you lots of benefits, lots of benefits yeah. in strength. And the thing is, well, that's the only proven product, isn't it? Um, uh, Out of all of them. Yeah, yeah, it's the only proven thing that works. <laughs> yeah, and, and it's the cheap... And it's the cheap. I mean, you can get a kilo of it for like 15 quid or something yeah. like that. It's, yeah, yeah. It's, it's, it's mental what you yeah. can get, and it's probably, it's probably the one that should be staple in everything yeah. you do because it gives you, um, you know... Longer glycogen levels, I believe, yeah, in your yeah. muscles. Strength gain. Strength uh, gains and, and endurance whilst you're training. There's a, there's a lot of benefits to it. Yeah, no, it's, it's, it's good that, you, you know, people have got these things that they can put into their diet that, is, that are not even that expensive. Yeah. You know what I mean? But they're the essentials, I would say. Or not even essential, but they're the, a lot of people who always put pre-workout in, but it's not essential. It's good if... if Do you take pre-workout? So, I'm going to put my hands up to this. Because of my lifestyle, this past... Um, Six months or eight months, nine months, it's creeped back into my my uh, my daily routine. Which I'd always say never. Uh, I'd always, not never. So I used to take it when I was younger, and I got dependent on it, got very reliant on it, and I was taking more and more. And I realised it it was not good. So I kind of cut it out, and it became a point where I'd have it if I'm really tired and I need it just as a pick me up for for that session. I didn't want to have it every day for for um to get reliant on it. So I started taking a pump product. So it's it's everything in the pre workout other than the caffeine stuff on it, um, and that was brilliant. But obviously, because I was doing these twenty two hour days, and it was I was starting to become dependent on caffeine. And, and the thing was as well, when I was dieting down, normally my meals what I consume is over like a ten hour period or whatever. So not I'm hungry, but it is it's doable. Whereas when you're doing twenty two hours and you're trying to span those meals yeah, in twenty two yeah, hours, yeah. it was hard. And the only way you could your energy levels were just constantly, you wasn't really getting brain fog and you kept, caffeine was, was my friend at that point. So uh, I've kind of knocked it back on its head now. But yeah, at that stage it was. You kind of, but, but eat like an addict. When, when I, when I eat a hundred percent on point or 80% on point, I, yeah. every training session is easier. Every, my sleep's better. Yeah. Everything, everything improves by just eating regularly and on point and, yeah. and whole foods essentially rather than trying to do anything like that. Yeah. The thing is as well, like I've stepped off stage and 
a lot of like family members, friends and stuff like that, because they see me dieting, even 10 years on, they, they, um, they think it's a good thing. And it's, it's a lovely thing, but it, it's not great for my digestive tract. They'll make cornflake tarts. So my wife made this massive cornflake tart. Um, the cookie dealer sent me about 30 cookies. The cookie dealer. The cookie dealer. <laughs> sent me like 30 cookies and they all go off. They're, they're fresh food. Yeah, so yeah, you're yeah. like, I need to eat this. So <laughs> you start eating it and then before you know it, you've got that sugar yeah. like craving again. And my digestive tract, because I eat so clean all year, as soon as I go off track, stay away for a while. <laughs> Curtains for you, mate. It's Curtains. not great, you know. So, well, I, 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 yeah, yeah. It, mate, honestly, like the, getting your getting your digestion right and your gut yes. right—that's what creates a lot of the brain fog and yeah, yeah. brain fog and all that stuff. It's like if you don't have your gut microbiome right, you can yeah. put yourself out. You know how how yeah. how often are you getting your bloods checked and everything like that? Yeah, so I've tried to get my bloods for like every three months, like that, um, just to make sure I'm on top of it. Um, and yeah, that's something I've only—it's only become really popular that in the last which is a great thing people are taking more um more care of their health and stuff so especially in our sport so yeah i take it uh, probably every three months just to make sure i'm I'm on point and we've been on track with stuff yeah and obviously look we're sat in this phenomenal gym phenomenal facility let's let's just let's just dive into like what you've got going on business wise because uh, because obviously we've mentioned about all the stresses the strains of preps the ups the downs and, and the journey like this this is a phenomenal facility you've got here for Thank a start, you. but you've also got you know your, your shorts company. Yeah, yeah. So yeah, we've got quite a lot of stuff. Yeah. So what what so, so, so tell tell the audience what you've got going on and what the plans are for it. Yeah. So obviously this has taken a lot of my time up. Uh, this was a dream of mine, and when I first started this project, it was a spin sort of kind of gym. And then my vision changed as 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 the popularity grew on social media with it, and I thought, you know what, I can cater for everybody here. Like I want this to be a one stop shop for for everybody not just like the bodybuilding the hardcore bodybuilding scene so this has taken up a lot of my time in the past year i must admit um but yeah we've got alta which is uh, my son's company so alta stands for alfie lewis terry aesthetics um that's hopefully what i can give to him when he's 18 years old um my wife has made a good point that what i've got for my daughter shit i need to set a company up for yeah, yeah, yeah um so yeah we've been running that plenty of time. that yeah we've got rt coaching um which is something I want to do a little bit more of, I think. Once this is the, like the online PT. and Yeah, so this yeah. is more like an app-based uh, kind of thing, but I still have to do a lot of check-ins with that and whatever. Uh, we, I do properties on the side, so we've got a few like, rentals. Yeah, yeah, let's, let's, let's break down into that, because I've not heard you talk into that a lot. So okay, how, what, are you, what are you doing property-wise and investment-wise? We're not doing anything. We're not taking anything on it, maybe because obviously the, in the UK is it's not, it's not great, yeah. great now. So, um, yeah, I've only... I've, Basically, we had a, a few rentals. I've now got rid of them and just I just got the one rental at the minute. But I love doing projects. I, this is just something what keeps me sane. Obviously, this is my bread and butter, and uh, the sports world is something I love doing. But this is just something I don't want to forget my roots where I started, which was plumbing and building. So, so do you get in when you are you just like buying them and and getting contractors in there to do them up, or are you yeah, are you so getting get, in there and doing them? Yeah, I get involved. With, I, we, we have contractors because of how much I've got on, but yeah. whatever I can do, I will come in. So, for yeah. instance, here I've been here with uh, the guys through the night. We we've done full night shifts here, um, yeah. and I've just been loaded. Like yesterday, I was in the skip. Yeah. <laughs> so one day I'm Mr. Men's Mr. Olympia. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Next minute, I'm, and that's what I'll be doing later. Actually, 
just cleaning up and just just trying to keep the job. So, where, so when does this place open? When can people come see it? So this will be 2nd of January. We're opening to the public. Uh, yeah. Obviously, we're in December now, coming up to Christmas, freezing. Uh, but mm. we, we've got events. Hence why we've got this jacket on. Yes. <laughs> it's, it's, it is cold. It's Baltic in here. Like, it's Baltic. I don't know how he's wearing shorts. He's wearing shorts. Well, I'm dressing for the weather I want, not for the weather we got. You know what I mean? <laughs> exactly, mate. But um, yeah, so this is going to be opening 2nd of January. Um, and then, like I say, it's not just the gym. Obviously, we've got the, the cafe, the restaurant, the barbers, the salon the nail bar, the aesthetics, the seminar room. So it's a big old project. Um, so that's taking me away from, from rentals for now. Yeah, no, I'll, I think you've achieved something phenomenal here. And, I'm, and I was saying to the guy that let me in that I don't think I've seen in this country, in this area, specifically a facility that is so well equipped, ultra modern. Like at the end of the day, you've got every piece of equipment because of your bodybuilding background, obviously you've got every piece of equipment to hit every different muscle group you could ever imagine. Yeah. Uh, and probably two of everything. Yeah. And the thing is, that I've, I've really took pride in this place because so far there's about 10 machines which I've designed and helped build myself. So uh, I'm a bit of a geek when it comes to like, the biomechanics of it. Obviously, I love, I love bodybuilding. So yeah. um, I went to New York and I saw like standing press, for instance. That's a, a prototype. There's 10 prototypes in here which is, is not released to anybody else yet in, in the world. So... Um, yeah, and I'm proud to be a part yeah. and I've had a hand in that. And the lighting is extraordinary in there. The lighting's it's pretty cool, isn't it? <laughs> it, it, it's, it? The lighting in every room makes is is what is what really sets it out for me of how you've lit the place and everything. Like influence influences you, isn't it? <laughs> what, what what would be a cap in terms of like members for this kind of place? So it's funny you should say that. So originally it was going to open up to as many people as we can and, and make it like a fully fledged business, so to speak, and, and just. But since winning the Olympia and since putting so much into this, I kind of, I don't want it to, to get ruined, get abused and stuff. And I want to create like a an atmosphere where all the members who are here appreciate being here and they don't feel like it's crowded and they, they enjoy the process. So if I was to fill this with 2,000 people, which we can do, it's just going to lose the feel of what I'm, I'm trying to build and create, the community I'm trying to create. Would you create it then application only and then only have certain type of people in here so that you no, can, you can no, I'm, I'm not going to do like types of people but I'm going to basically it's a one stop shop for everybody any level of your, of your fitness um, journey like I say we've got all the, the seminar we've got like the, the studios the spin studios the dance aerobics yeah yeah the legs bums and tums we're trying to cater for everybody but it'll be like first come first serve and we will get to a point where it's of, of a stand up thinking right we're just getting busy in here now that's when we'll cap it we'll just start a waiting list or something if, if we get to that yeah I love that and I, I know that I asked you this question when we left the last podcast. Well, in fact, before I ask you that question, I just want to say, like, on a personal level, mate, super proud of what you've achieved like, and everything you've done in the last year. I appreciate um, that. Thank you. Big shout out to, to people like Johnny Hans that have helped you along the journey yeah. as well. Like, cause, 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 and, and, and any coaches that have helped you too, because like, I know. Yeah, he's not missed um, probably the last five years. Come to every, yeah. He came to this Olympia as well, so... And and he and he's the one that first introduced me. To, yeah. Introduced us. I just want to shout him out. But yeah, big he's, credit. He's good at shaving backs because he shaved my back <laughs> and tanned me up. To be fair, so Johnny, good shout out to you. And he's not a bad masseuse as well. <laughs> he's, he's he's a quality he's a quality guy. And I I, mean, I just want to say like it's it's unbelievable. It's not only unbelievable what you've achieved, but how, in the time that I've known you, a few years, two and a half years, or whatever. It's it's been it's been it's been great to see how you've evolved. You keep level headed. You always you always help people, and it's just it's just nice to see that at this level of the game. You know what I mean? When you're when you, when you're doing it, I just want to say that to you personally. Thank you. But 
I always ask this question to people because I think it really gives something actionable for the audience to take away. If there's one piece of golden wisdom you can now say as the Mr. Olympia Physique Champion to this audience, it's the last piece of information you could leave to them in the world if you had to check out tomorrow. What would it be so they can implement it in their life today and move 1% forward? If you have a dream and a goal, never give up on it. And it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. If, if it's worth having, it's going to be hard. It's going to be tough. So for me, I knew that title was what I wanted and stuff. And, and there were a lot of setbacks, many setbacks and stuff, but I never stopped believing that I could be Mr. Olympia. Otherwise, I would have quit a long time ago. So just if you truly believe in something, you have that dream and you want it bad enough, don't give up on it. Keep going. Work hard. I love that, mate. And that, is your Mr. Olympia, Ryan Terry. Thank you very much, guys. Much love. Guys, do me a solid favour. Drop a comment below this video and let us know who you want on the podcast next.